Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 172 of the Nasser Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the week that was in the NFL as we crossed through what was usually the quarter mark of the season. Technically, kind of still is about the quarter mark. We're 18 weeks now, pushing into week five. Either way, hope you all enjoyed it. We're going to dive into the nitty gritty of it, and we're not going to waste any time because it's going to be one of those episodes. We're going to jump right in to my standout seven. Now, admittedly, we're reaching a little bit for the bigger story at the top portion. Not really, but a little bit. There's some shenanigans I need to get to. That's the main crux of the standout seven this week, and when I say shenanigans, I mean shenanigans. Much like how we focused on the Justin Fields comments off the field, and, well, pun not intended, how we had to get to that, and that led to, you know, a bit of a rant or kind of a breakdown, I guess, of where Fields was, and Fields coming off of two pretty good games in the last handful of days here. Um, We'll get into that. We talked no man's land teams last week and the, the gambling policy. We'll stick to football here. Hard gridiron for the early portion of this. Then we have to talk about, if you're in New York, you probably see this coming, or the tri-state area, or maybe this has gone national, I'm not 100% sure. The comments made by a player on the New York football giants, in reference to the fans, and we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But number one, let's go positive. Before we get negative, because that's going to be probably a little bit of a ranty segment. Bigger story, Buffalo's blowout win, or Baltimore's blowout win. They're both divisional victories. Let's get started with Baltimore, because the answer is not going to be Baltimore, right? Um, For the standings, you can make the argument they're very similar, right? Buffalo pulls into a 3-1 tie, ahead by tiebreaker. Baltimore pulls ahead, 2-3-1, dropping Cleveland to 2-2. The reason it's not Baltimore is because they were facing Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and I'd be willing to bet the majority of you out there, unless you're truly a diehard, and then maybe I shouldn't say that, because if you're listening to this program, you might be a diehard, in all honesty, um, may not have even known who Dorian Thompson Robinson is. I've heard the name. I honestly couldn't tell you any measurables about him. I couldn't have told you what school he went to, and, well, he went 19-36, a buck 21, and three interceptions. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think we picked Cleveland last week, but I threw an asterisk on it. I'm 100% using my mulligan on that one. Once I saw it was not Deshaun Watson, I figured this game was over, and it was. Lamar Jackson, very efficient through the air, 15-19, a buck 86, two touchdowns. Everybody got in on a little bit of the fun on the ground. The Gus Bus for 48, Justice Hill for 33, Lamar for 27, Melvin Gordon, shout out to him, still in the league, uh, 21, which is, you know, it adds up to over 100, but it's really not insane numbers. Um, yeah, Mark Andrews, two two TDs, good for him. This was a stomping, and, you know, at home or on the road or on the moon, if you don't have your starting quarterback, it's going to be hard to beat the Baltimore Ravens. It just so happens that they were coming off of a loss to another backup quarterback, so maybe people were a little skeptical, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson does not have the, and I will say with quotations, NFL pedigree that Gardner Minshew has. He's experienced significantly more. Obviously, first start, rookie year for this kid. So, rough loss for Cleveland, but they'll bounce back if Deshaun is healthy. Let's talk Buffalo. Um, this was a good old-fashioned ass-whooping. This was 48-20. to This game was 31-14 at half. It did not really get close, ever. 
Um, you want to blame it on the offense for Miami for not keeping up after scoring 70 the other week? Sure. I mean, Tua threw a pick in this one. Completion percentage was pretty solid. I mean, they ran for over 100 yards. You give up 48 points, you're going to lose, right? Like, that's just the way it is. Josh Allen, the complete and utter antithesis of his week one performance in his other divisional matchup. Last time, he was turning the ball over left and right. He was a main contributor to why his team lost the game. This time, on the other hand, well, 21 of 25, as many incompletions as touchdown passes. Five total TDs for him. He added one on the ground. Um, sprinkling a handful of yards here and there for Latavius Murray and James Cook and Damian Harris, who, by the way, is on the Bills. I didn't even realize. Um, Stephon Diggs looked great. Gabe Davis had 60 yards. There was nothing the Bills did poorly in this game. Racked up a couple of sacks on the defensive side. Interception. I mean, what more do you need? This was a, and we've used the phrase, and it's a little corny and a little played out, if we're being honest, but I'll probably still wind up using it. You know, there's levels to this, so to speak. This was piped down over there. I don't care what you did to the Denver Broncos. We're still a Super Bowl contender. We are still the A side of this matchup. Right? Wow. Dominant victory. And you know what? It shut up a lot of people. And look, I said in last week's pick segment, if you weren't here, I'll fill you in. I lean towards Miami because they just dropped 70 and they looked unbeatable. They were as hot as they could possibly be. Buffalo took them down a peg. All right. You know what that tells me? Buffalo, still the better squad. And this is without Von Miller, by the way. No Von Miller, not yet. When Von gets back in there, the Buffalo hype train that took off last year when they won the season opening game, it is going to rocket into the stratosphere, I imagine, barring injury and or setbacks. Number two in the standout, seven, bigger victory. Look at this, positivity this week. Philly holding on, clutching to a win at home. Or Kansas City clutching to a win on the road. Wink, wink. Um, Or perhaps a third contender that we'll get to after the fact. Let's start with the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. They played pretty solid. Um, They pulled out to a lead here. They were down at half. 17-10, 17-10, pulled out to a lead in the third, and the fourth quarter was bonkers. Um, a late comeback, and I was utterly shocked, utterly shocked that when the Commanders tied this game, they did not go for two. I was disappointed. I was genuinely disappointed that they did not go for two to win the game, because it was just the most riverboat run, huh? you know what I mean? But no, they played a conservative, and I believe they got the ball in OT and just couldn't move it, and or couldn't get down deep enough. If memory serves, not a lot going on the ground. I mean, they racked up over 100, but three yards per carry for Brian Robinson Jr., three yards per carry for Antonio Gibson. It's still the Philadelphia Eagles. They're still a tremendous team. However, I mean, if you believe what was said in the offseason, that supposedly Taylor Heineke had to kind of help nudge the coaching staff into giving Sam Howell that week 18 start to see what they have there. That is malpractice of the highest order because the kid looks good. 29 of 41 for 290 and a touchdown in this game. Oh, by the way, we'll skip ahead. We'll talk about the Bears game later, but in that game, he goes 37 of 51, 388, two touchdowns and a pick. I mean, come on. 
out of nowhere, right? Like, you guys weren't even going to give this guy a shot, whatever. Um, good win for the Eagles, considering it is, barring, you know, except for the Giants, a relatively competitive division. Commanders dropping to 2-3 and three on Thursday night. Cowboys still at 3-1. and one. You know, they haven't faced each other head-to-head yet. This was a win that they didn't need to have, but it's good that they got it. And especially against a team that went into their house last year, ended their, you know, bid of a perfect season. Didn't matter. They still went to the Super Bowl, but big win for Philly. Now, let's talk about the other portion of this past Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe I said explicitly that Patrick Mahomes would have to turn the ball over three, four, maybe I exaggerated and said about nine times for the Jets to win that game. Patrick Mahomes played awful. 18-30, 2-0-3, a touchdown and two picks. He played bad, right? And it was still 17-0 at one point in this game. Obviously, the bad plays came after. 20-12 at halftime, 20-20 going into the third quarter. Excuse me, ending the third quarter. And if you want, we'll touch on the, the controversy, so to speak, at the end of the game here. Was there holding on the, I believe it was the left tackle on that play that Mahomes ran for 20? Hell, yeah. I mean, you guys have eyes, right? He held him. Yeah, of course he did. Is there holding on, what is it? What's the number that, I think it was Mark Schlereth might have said it. I don't want to misattribute it. Uh, But they said if you looked really closely at the interior, you could find holding on a majority of plays. It just so happened to be very blatant on a late play in that game. You want to talk about the hold on, I believe it was Sauce Gardner, that would have been an interception. Was it a hold? He, it might have been illegal contact. I think that's a little ticky-tack to go with a hold there, especially because Sauce Gardner is the big name, right? Usually when you're the big name, you get the call. However, there is no bigger name than Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. You want to call ref bias? That's life, guys. Like, if you're a professional sports fan, if you watch football, baseball, basketball, whatever, it is what it is. Right? When I was younger, it was, oh, well, the Colts, excuse me, the Colts are playing the Patriots. Well, Tom Brady's going to get the calls, right? Oh, it looked like Pastor, eh, we'll give it, we'll give it to Tommy Boy. They're fine, right? There's always a Golden Boy. There's always a Golden Goose. And there's always people that are rooting against them who are going to be angry when they get a call. That is the facts of life, right? If your team is facing a great ace in Major League Baseball and he's getting a little bit off the corner, you're going to be mad about it. You're going to say, oh, he's so good. He doesn't need the help, right? But it's the way it is. It's the way it is. I'm sorry, Jet fan. Look, I'm going to be real with you guys. Your, your season's not going anywhere. This was the best game Zach Wilson has played, and that'll parlay me into something else here. There's comments, I believe it was Rodney Harrison was ripping him, and My- Micah Parsons, you know what, shout out to Micah Parsons, for coming to his defense. Quote Micah, you can't sit here and say you look at the tape and he's garbage. Like, you cannot say... You could say he's not a Mahomes tier, but you can't say he's not a good quarterback. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Micah Parsons comes to Zach Wilson's defense after NBC's Rodney Harrison calls him garbage in a post-game interview. I don't think Zach Wilson is a garbage-tier quarterback. I think, and I, I said this before after Rodgers went down, and I said they should have made a move, and I stand by that. If they plan on contending this year, they should ma- should have or should consider making a move for a veteran. He just needs time to develop. Is he garbage? I don't know. It's too soon. He got drafted onto a team with a poor record, and all of a sudden their defense was really good last year. And Garrett Wilson was really good, and Sauce Gardner was really good. Well, he needs time to develop. 
he wasn't going to be really good fresh out. It just didn't happen that way. So, I mean, you want to call him garbage? Sure. I mean, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's the guy that should have been out there. If Aaron Rodgers was out there, Jets win that ball game, right? The Jets are playoff contenders at the least. But that's not where we are, right? A little a little overboard, especially to call him garbage after 28-39 for 245, two touchdowns. That's that's a good game for him. That's a, That shows me you pre-cooked those comments. Like... You wrote it down beforehand, and you're like, well, I'm getting this one in here just anyway. Why not? Like, come on. What are we doing? What are we doing? Anyway, the real answer to, I had this phrase in my notes as, uh, bigger story, who survived, right? Philly survived in overtime. Kansas City survived with a little help from their friends at the end of regulation. The answer is the L.A. Chargers. Once again, in peculiar situations, Late in the ball game. Interesting. 24 to 17, going for fourth and one inside your own 40 with three and a half to play. What did I say last week? And I beg of you, page through last week's episode. Page, it might have been the week before. You know what? Let's let's take a peek real quick. We ranted about the Chargers relatively recently. The weeks blur together. I apologize. Hmm. Yes, it was last week. Coming off of the Chargers-Viking games, I said, what happens when you make these weird decisions and you don't get punished? You keep doing it. And he did it again. And he didn't get punished. This is going to cost you guys games. It has in the past. Clock management and or weird decision-making. Charger fan, I know you're out there nodding. The three of you who might be listening, you're nodding along. You understand as well as I do. He's playing with fire. He being head coach of the Chargers, Brandon Staley. Right? He's playing with fire. When you're going against Aiden O'Connell, who, again, we're talking about guys that you didn't expect to see start a game and or you might not have known who they were a couple weeks ago. That might be the guy. Right? Who's that guy? Um, 24-39, 238 and a pick. Not awful for, you know, first start for a rookie QB. Outplayed, arguably, Justin Herbert, who goes 13 of 24, a buck 67, a touchdown and a pick, and he winds up with a splint on, I believe, his left middle finger in this game. We'll see if that affects him moving forward. We'll talk injury reports when we get into the pick'em portion uh, at the tail end of the standout seven, tail end of the episode, I should say. Um, either way, they're the biggest winner here. If the Eagles had lost to the Commanders, it really, I don't think, would have been a big deal. Admittedly, I don't. I think the Eagles are still a really darn good team. And losing to the Commanders, oh well, maybe, maybe there's some weird matchup there and they have your number. You know, it is what it is. They win. Tremendous. Good for you guys. Keep the undefeated push going. Let's see what happens. Kansas City, if they would have lost to the Jets, yeah, it's egg on face. You go to 2-2, two and two, whatever. Is anyone going to be saying they're not going to make the playoffs? They would have been tied with the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers... We're about to slip to potentially, if it would have backfired as it could have, one and three, and they'd be two games out, and it's, no. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of not getting punished for foolish plays like that. Good for you, Charger fan. You are the big winner of the week in terms of teams who survived. Number three in the standout seven, just a game that caught my eye and teams that I think some people are higher on than me, but one that I'm definitely higher on than most. I want to talk Rams-Colts. 
It's 20 to nothing Rams at halftime, right? For all intents and purposes, it's all over but the people who bet props on this game or who's looking for the spread, right? Those are the people who are concerned with this ballgame. Nope. Not with Shane Steichen's Colts. Mm-mm. We wind up going OT in this game. Anthony Richardson in this one, completion percentage in the gutter, 11 of 25, 200 yards, two touchdowns, 10 carries for 56, and another touchdown. Zach Moss looked pretty good on the ground, 18 for 70, considering it is, you know, a Rams defense that I believe, you know, still anchored by Aaron Donald. He's not going anywhere. The Rams, what I wanted to talk about here, it's not so much about the game, but they happen to be facing each other. Two weeks in a row, I believe, we're going to be talking about both of these teams. We talked Rams last week, and we didn't talk Indy, though we could have. Which one of these teams has a better shot at the playoffs? Right? Now, who's in the harder division? The Rams. Who's done it before? The Rams. Who has a coach that you trust more? The Rams. Who has more, let's say, unpredictability? I would say Indy, because I've liked what I've seen from Anthony. I know everyone's on the C.J. Stroud train, and I understand, rightfully so. But Anthony Richardson has shown some talent there. It would not shock me if he found a way to help play his team into some more games as this season goes on. The answer, I would assume for most of you, potentially, would be the Rams. As in that, uh, you know, veteran QB, veteran head coach, Cooper Cup's coming back. Puka Nakua is having an all-time rookie year. Kyron Williams looks pretty darn good on the ground. They've still got Aaron Donald. They've still got some some players on that defense, right? That's probably the right answer. However, if we take a look at the standings, consider who they're going to run into. The Rams, as I said, NFC West, harder division. They're in third right now at 2-2. Two and two. The Colts are in first. Four-way tie at 2-2. Two and two. They've scored the most points in the division. They've given up the most points in the division. They've lost both games at home and won both games on the road. They lose this game in OT. Let's say both teams are trying to be wild-card teams, because I don't think the Rams winning the division is realistic, and I'm not certain the Jaguars are going to stumble enough the Colts are going to be in play for the division. Though it's possible. I would hear an argument for that one. So, looking at the wild-card, right? We have the four division winners right now. That would be Tampa Bay, Detroit, San Francisco, and the Eagles. The Rams, are they better than Dallas? Right now, I would say no, right? Are they better than Seattle? We can have a conversation. If Cooper Cup's back healthy, I could see it, potentially. Are they better than Green Bay? These are just the teams in second place, by the way. Are they better than Green Bay? I would say yes. Are they better than Minnesota? I would say no. I think Minnesota's a better team on paper. Are they better than the Falcons and or the Saints? Well, if Derek Carr's going to be hurt, probably better than New Orleans. If Desmond Ritter's not going to continue to play decent, I would say, uh, they're better than Atlanta. So they're right on the fringe. You look at the AFC, also got to consider the Jets dealing with injuries. Is Herbert going to be affected by this middle finger injury? The Bengals are already 1-3. How is Joe Burrow moving forward? Division winners right now at the quarter point in the AFC. 
the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens, and those Colts. Let's say for argument's sake the Jaguars win that division. They're all tied at 2-2. Two and two. Let's say, huh? Okay, so are the Colts potentially better than Miami? No. Are they potentially better than the Chargers? I would say no. However, with the late-game decision-making of that Chargers team, anything is possible. Are they better than the Pittsburgh Steelers? Mitchell Trubisky may or may not be factoring into their season because Kenny Pickett had a knee injury, though supposedly it's not an ACL tear. He should be okay-ish. We'll find out. I like Pittsburgh's defense better. Pickett should be a little further along just by way of having had his rookie year already, but there's an argument, right? Cleveland without Nick Chubb. Is Watson going to be healthy this year? Obviously, he missed the last game. Toss it up. Then it comes down to, you know, Tennessee? Mm. The Texans? Mm. I don't know. Maybe some of you out there screaming into your computer that, or your phone, either way, that, you know, C.J. Stroud's played better than Richardson. Why aren't you talking about the Texans? Well, they didn't play the Rams this past week. But it's an interesting thought because it's two teams you didn't expect to be in the playoff hunt necessarily. The Colts especially. I think either one could, at the least, play spoiler. Number four in the standout seven, let's wrap up those primetime games. We talked Sunday night football. Let's talk Monday night football. What's there to talk about? The New York Giants looked awful. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks looked tremendous. And yet, the Giants drove down the field and had a chance to take the lead in the first quarter and had a chance to cut it to, let's say, conservatively four in the third quarter. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is with with this New York Giants team. Um, this is going to be a lost season because point blank they're one and three right now. I will spoil this one for you in the pick'em portion. They're playing Miami. I am not picking the Giants to go to Miami and beat the Dolphins. Then they go to Buffalo. Then they play the Commanders, who right now look better than them. Then they play the Jets in the toilet bowl. Then they play the Raiders. Who knows? Then they got to go to Jerry World, and we're only in the middle of November, right? They haven't faced Philly yet. They have New Orleans and L.A. on the schedule, along with Green Bay. No. It's going to be a lost season, unfortunately. Look, is this me pulling the plug too early? Maybe. But coming off of the awful season the Yankees had, right? New York sports, as I mentioned in every episode, where they just strung you along, strung you along, strung you along, and all the way you knew they weren't going to make it. Giant fan, if you're out there. Flip it on red zone. Don't watch a giant game. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste. And you know what? If they're close, you can flip it on in the second half and watch Tua throw a ball to Tyreek 77 yards. Right? No. We're pushing towards the end of the line here. Is it Dayball's fault? I wouldn't say so. Um, Is it team building? Is it this? Is it that? It's, It's really a lot of similar guys to last year. Maybe last year was kind of fluky. I would say that's probably a fair assessment, if we're being honest. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is explicitly here. Daniel Jones had the best year of his career when you need to pay him money, and now he's not going to have the best year of his career. And that tends to be how contract negotiations end up going, right? The guy's about to get paid. He'll have the year of his life. He'll play better than you've ever seen. Then he'll go back to normal. You kind of just tip your cap that he gave you the year, I guess. Uh, Monday Night Football, excuse me, that was Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football. Now, I glossed over this Bears-Broncos game, 
This game was hilarious. The Broncos, in a matter of six quarters, had given up 91 points. They were down 21-7 at half. They were down 28-7 in this game, I believe. They score 17 unanswered in the fourth quarter alone to win this game 31-28. This was the weird... And the funny thing is, sitting there watching it happen, I'm thinking, man, I should really crack open that FanDuel Sportsbook app. Because it's going to happen right now, isn't it? They're going to find a way to collapse. And they did. And they did. I mean, we're talking... They tied this game off of a Justin Fields sack fumble. I mean, it was all going so well. At that point, it was 28-21, sack fumble. Then Chicago winds up going, I believe they turn it over on downs in the red zone. They could have kicked a field goal. Nope, we're not going to kick the field goal. Okay, Russ goes back down. Boom. Bears get the ball back. Interception. Game over. Awful outing. Uh, couldn't close this one. Now, the interesting thing is, the game we're supposed to be talking about is Commanders-Bears. I had the same feeling in this game. It was 27-3 at halftime. I'm like, okay, wow. Huge lead. But I've seen this before. It gets to 27-11. It gets to 27-14. Okay. This is getting a little interesting. And then we have the Logan Thomas fumble. I believe it was when it was 27-14. Kind of took a little bit of the wind out of the sails. And then, I mean, Logan Thomas, underappreciated player in the NFL for my money. Um, Just a rough fumble. He's getting propped up by like 16 defenders, and he gets stripped, and it's, you know, it is what it is. The Bears hold on and win this one. Commanders got sucker punched in this game, and the man that did the sucker punching was named DJ Moore. I mean, Justin Fields completes 15 passes. Half of them are to DJ Moore. Eight catches, 230, and three touchdowns. He is the single reason they won this game. Wow. Just wow. And if you're the Bear, if you're a Bear fan, I mean, 60-something points in two games, you go one and one, it's not the end of the world. Right? Coming into this game, coming into the 0-4 here, um, they were projected number one and number two in the draft. One via their pick, two via the Panthers pick. That's insane. If they could have, you know, if they could pull that off, I mean... All bets are off. Who knows what could happen? You could build the team really fast. But kudos to them. They fought hard. They brought home the W on Thursday night football. Also, bad luck for the Commanders. I mean, you get sucker punched in the mouth right after a hard game against the Eagles. It is what it is. All right. Number five in the standout seven. Let's talk about Evan Neal. Let's talk about about Evan, right tackle of the New York Giants, Neil. Let's take a peek at the remarks that were made, right? Evan, Neil, they were booing us. I said, boo louder to New Jersey Advanced Media, Daryl Slater on Wednesday. The second-year offensive lineman didn't stop there in regards to critics of his play and the team asking Slater, why would a lion concern himself with the opinions of sheep? The person commenting on my performance, what does he do? Flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere? Asked by Slater why he told fans to boo louder, he said, 
because that just further shows that people are fair weather. A lot of fans are bandwagoners. I mean it. I get it. Sorry, I mean I get it. They want to see us perform well, and I respect that, but no one wants us to perform well more than we do. How can you say you're really a fan when we're out there battling our asses off and the game wasn't going well, but the best you can do is boo your home team? How much of a fan are you really? Nice. I'll, I'll let I'll let this is an article written by Jeremy Bergman of NFL.com. I'll let Jeremy Bergman carry this next thought before I give it. Here you go. Um, sorry, I lost it. Video loaded. Neil, who's allowed 25 pressures in four games, second most in the NFL, said he's quite aware that his fellow linemen need to be better for the Giants to turn the page. Daniel Jones got sacked, I believe, 11 times in that Monday Night Football game, by the way. 11 times. 11. 1-1. One, one. Now, if you have not heard these remarks before, do yourself a favor, go on YouTube and check out Don LaGreca, his remarks from the Michael K. Show, defending the New York fan as he is inclined to do, and I, it's hard to not agree with him, right? I won't go on a rant. Obviously, it's not day of. We do our show once a week. But I have to weigh in on this one. Evan Neal, right? We just mentioned he's the second worst offensive lineman in terms of allowing quarterback pressures, right? Six foot seven, 340 pounds, to borrow from the undisputed, undefeated Chael Sonnen. Before I met you, I didn't know they stacked crap that high, right? This is preposterous. And I have several problems with this, and it's almost certainly going to derail parts of this episode. So skip ahead if you're not interested in ranting about an entitled NFL player. Um, here's the thing. One of the big issues I have with the guy is the remarks he's making about, oh, you're fair weather, oh, you're this, and then to go so far as to hit the, why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of sheep? You suck at your job. You suck at your... It's a front-facing job, dude. You suck at your job. That's all it is. People pay money to watch you do your job, and you suck at your job. There are Everyone listening right now can relate to having had a job, or whether it be an assignment in school, or something you had to do if you played sports, and you just did bad at it. Right? Own it. They didn't make you play poorly. Oh, I couldn't hear the calls, you know what I mean? Oh, I couldn't do this. Oh, it's the turf. A lion concerning himself with the opinion of sheep. And I notice a lot of people like to go to the age-old to be the man in the arena, right? You're not a gladiator, dog. You're getting paid $20 million. Let's take a look at the spot rack real quick. Four years, $24.551 million. $15.035 million signing bonus. You're getting paid to be a large man and stop large men from going to hit the actual talented guys. That's your job. That's why I think the Chael Sonnen quote is apropos. Didn't know they could stack crap that high. It's, it's hilariously bad to lean on something like... You want to lash out at the fans? There's plenty of people that have done it. Plenty. Especially in New York. However, there's also people that just take the beating and then move on. They take the beating and they move... And look, is that the right thing to do? There is no right thing to do. 
You're getting paid more money than all of those people put together damn near. If you take the combined income of one of those sections in the 300s where they're booing you and then left at halftime, you make more than that probably in, what, a couple games? Are they burger flippers? Maybe. Maybe they are. But, but you know, I, I cared enough to do a little research here on our boy Evan Neal. I said, you know, you're looking down on the little guy here. And as someone who is a descendant of the Burger Flipper lineage, I was intrigued. I said, what is Evan Neal doing? Okay, well, Evan Neal, six foot seven, right? Big boy. Got some good genetics there, yeah? He worked real hard to get those genetics, you know? Interesting. This is a quote from fanbuzz.com talking about Evan Neal. A couple of excerpts here for you. Sheila and Eddie Neal are Evan's biggest supporters, though that wasn't always evident to the public. I believe that would be his parents. Back when the Okeechobee, Florida native was at IMG Academy, deciding between Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Miami, and Florida State, his dad seemed uninterested when he chose the Crimson Tide, but it worked out, though. They ran a grocery store. They might still run a grocery store. So, simply because you were... Look, if you were born six foot two, you'd be sitting here doing what I'm doing. Yeah, you're 6'7", so you think that you're better than every... There's no skill in being tall. There's no skill. And I'm not going to be one of those guys, like people when they criticize, you know, in the NBA, big men that can't shoot or yada, yada, yada. There's plenty you still have to do at that position. But the bar to entry is be big. You have your job because you're big. What talent is there in being six foot seven? Okay, so here we go. The other thing is, you are a blue chip prospect if you're getting recruited to all those schools. So you're looking down on the common man at like, what, 18, 19 years old at that point? Your parents ran a a business. Normal, average old people. I know you had family members who were previously in the NFL, man. That's awesome. Good for you. You didn't do a damn thing for them to achieve those things. You didn't do a thing. Genetic lottery. You did it. You were born into a family that had some athletic gifts. Oh my goodness, good for you, buddy. You're the man. Number one pick. Yeah, pick seven. You're awesome. It's it's bizarre to me that someone would go to the... Like, this isn't LeBron James getting criticized after the Dallas Mavericks collapse way back when, right? And you go, well, to be the man in the arena, kind of insinuating, oh, you guys can talk all the stuff you want, you know, but I was out there, man, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm the best at that point, he was one of the best players in the NBA. He's one of the best players ever. Evan Neal isn't one of the best players named Evan. You could get Lorenzo Neal, the former fullback, off his couch, wherever he is, and he'll put up the same stats as Evan Neal. He might be better. I mean, What are we doing here, guys? Like I said, I'm not going to completely jump on the rant thing, you know, because I think Don's rant put it perfectly. If the guy makes the Pro Bowl, boo him. If they somehow win the Super Bowl with him, boo him. The fans were here before you. The fans will be here after you. Bottom line, you are not the first player to get booed. Matter of fact, you're an offensive lineman. I'd be willing to bet half the people in the stands don't even know who you are. You're a body. You are a big body whose job it is to... Make sure the actual skilled players that they're there to see can do their jobs. That's your job. Ostensibly. 
as an offensive lineman, make sure they don't wreck the play before we try to make it. And you did such a bang-up job of doing it. Giants Wire, USA Today, February of 2023. This is eight months ago, just about. Quoting another article. According to Sports Info Solutions, Evan Neal had 24 blown blocks and allowed 11 sacks from his right tackle spot. Only two others, who were also rookies, allowed more sacks. There were times when Neal looked lost. His pro football focus grade ranked him 80th out of 81 tackles. 80th. 80th. Out of 81. She goes on to say, sorry, it was by John Fennelly. He goes on to say, excuse me. Then again, Neil is a big body who may not be suited for tackle in the NFL. Giants fans remember Eric Flowers, another first rounder who was a bust as a tackle. I remember Eric Flowers. And correct me if I'm wrong, comment section wherever you're listening or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. I don't remember Eric Flowers lashing out at the fans. I remember Eric Flowers just trying to do his job. Just trying to do his job. And you know what? When Eric Flowers moved on, he got another position. I believe he was with the Washington then Redskins or football team. I don't recall what they were called at the time. But he played better. He did. Maybe it was the coaching. Maybe it was this. Maybe it's Maybelline. But you know what it wasn't? The crowd's fault. Because the crowd has no power over you. No matter what you may believe, they react to you. If you don't like them booing, play better. It is that simple. You took a job in which you'd get paid more money over the course of this four-year contract than the majority of people in the stands will see in their lifetime. To stand there, be a big man, and push the other big men. The lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. You're a goober. You're an idiot. Like, (laughs) I don't want to get, you know, any personal about it. I don't know the guy. I don't care to know the guy. But you want to talk smack about the people in the stands for booing you. Like, you open yourself up to even more criticism and booing. This isn't isn't like a a galaxy brain Rex Ryan play, right? Where it's, oh, now they're going to focus on me. They're going to leave the other people alone. You're Evan Neal. You're an offensive lineman. If you got cut at the end of the year, by 2026, people would be using you as a trivia answer. No one would know who you were. I bet you there's some Giants fans out there that had a little PTSD when I said Eric Flowers because they hadn't heard that name in years. They hadn't given it a thought in years. You're going to go out there and make your money no matter what those fans do. If you're getting rattled by the home fans, what happens when you're on the road? What happens when the guy across from you is talking smack to you? This is sad. Pro Football Focus article. June 13th, 2023. Excuse me. Gordon McGinnis. Ten second-year players under pressure to perform. Number one, Evan Neal. Earned a sub-50 PFF pass blocking grade in seven of the 15 games he played. His 28.1 PFF pass blocking grade on true pass sets was the lowest among all tackles to play 400 snaps in 2022. 
It's true. Andrew Thomas had a bad rookie year, and he rebounded, and he was great. That is true. Um, however, I don't think that's going to happen with Evan Neal. Just, just a shot in the dark. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know if it's... You know, I'm not saying anything about the guy's work ethic. Like I said, I don't know him. But from IMG to Alabama to the New York Giants, top of the line, top of the line, top of the line. Giants are on top of the line, as you would say, if you're drafting that early. And if you're getting blown out all the time. But I don't think this guy's got the, uh, the fortitude, per se, to go out there and do this. Now, you know what? That's it. Gladly be proved wrong. Gladly. Go out there and succeed, Evan. Good for you. But, like, realistically, you know, I, I don't curse on this show. I don't. It is. It was never explicitly said to me not to curse on this show. But it was assumed, right? It's, you know, family-friendly and all that. But truly, the words that come out of people's mouths that I've heard throughout this week were not f- suitable for air, and I don't tend to disagree with a lot of them. It's ridiculous. It's, you know, you look at someone keeping it in the city like a Giancarlo Stanton, who was more accomplished when he arrived with the New York Yankees than anything Evan Neal is ever going to accomplish in his NFL career, and I will say that hands down. He was an MVP. He was someone who had pursued the home run record. He was booed. He's been booed. He's going to be booed next year. He was booed this year. He will be booed. He realizes that when you don't perform, that is what they do in New York sports. We pay a lot of money, we being New Yorkers, to get some of these seats. It's not cheap even to live in in the state of New York, especially in New York City. Not to mention to get to Jersey over the bridge. You gotta, whatever. Whatever. Come on. It's... It's the burger flippers thing, man. You want to say, oh, boo more, boo more. It'll it'll put light a fire under us. Okay, you could spin it if you want, but I don't think you're bright enough to really spin it, are you? Why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of a sheep? Who said you're a lion? The New York Giants offensive line was awful. They were... Let's, let's try and... They were comparable to a flaming bag of excrement. In that Monday night game. That being said, you were still not the best guy on that line. That's that's impressive. Aren't you impressed with your abilities? The line is so bad. And you still were not the best guy. But you're the lion, right? The team's getting the team has three points in two home games. You're you're a lion, right? You're a, a hungry pack of lions, yeah. How did Oh my goodness. I can't wrap my brain around it. I truly can't wrap my brain around it. Okay, there's the Evan Neal rant. Six foot seven, three hundred forty pounds. I did not know they could stack crap that high. Lord have mercy. Anyway, moving on to number six in the standout seven. We're gonna speed through a bunch of other stuff that unfortunately didn't get a chance to make the standout seven because, well, this will be six and seven, let's say, because it is a lot of notes. Uh, Jonathan Taylor returning to practice for the Colts, saying he's healthy. Tremendous. Glad to see him out there. I think the Colts are a pretty good team. They could certainly use him. Uh, Jimmy G has cleared the concussion protocol. We'll get into if he's going to start when we talk about the Raiders matchup this week. Um, Q 
Kenny Pickett, as we mentioned before, supposedly did not tear his ACL. It's a muscle strain and a bone bruise. Uh, note that I made to myself here, New England definitely should have been on the no man's land, no man's land list as well. Should have been on there. Worth noting, I have a call out to make. Didn't write down who it was on the NFL Network. Did not care enough. Um, someone was questioning Bill Belichick's legacy because they were saying, oh, maybe you were just carried by Brady. We're just going to pretend that the New England defense wasn't elite, especially in the earlier of those titles. We're going to pretend that the New England defense was not tremendous. I mean, like, come on, guys. What are we doing? We, we don't got to tear down Bill Belichick to build up Tom Brady. He's already the gro- he's the GOAT. He already is. So what are we doing? We don't have to do this, guys. I mean, when when did the Patriots defense lose them games? I'm, I'm waiting. Feel free. Fill in the blanks. Comment section, social media, wherever. I mean, we're talking Tom Brady's Super Bowls here. Like, let's take a peek. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl, he threw for 145 yards. You want to tell me that Bill Belichick's defense didn't play a role in that 20-17 to 17 game? He threw for 145 yards. Second one, he goes for 353 touchdowns. Good for you. 32-29. The third one, 236. 236? Like, that's... He was carrying them. I mean, that's what we're doing? Come on, man. Three interceptions McNabb threw in that game. Three! The Super Bowls they lose. Brady, 29 of 48. They lose to the Giants when they gave up 17. That's Bill's loss, right? That's Bill's fault? 21 to 17 in the next Giants one. Brady, 27 of 41, 276, and an interception and a four-point loss. That's Bill's fault, though, right? That's Bill's fault? Okay. 28-24 victory over the Seahawks. Hey, look at Tom go. This I feel like this is the games they were thinking of. Brady, 328, four touchdowns, two interceptions, right? And they could have lost this game. Except Bill's defense made a play at the goal line. And maybe Pete Carroll made a bad call. Whatever. The defense makes the play to win the game, right? Super Bowl against Atlanta. I'll give you that one. 43-62, yeah, I'll give you that one. No, no argument. The Super Bowl they lose to Philly. 28-48, 5-0-5, three touchdowns. Yeah, I'll give you that one. He played tremendous. How about this one? 13-3. Brady goes for 262 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. You're going to stand there and tell me that Tom Brady is the reason they won that Super Bowl. 21-35, 262, no touchdowns, and a pick. I, I don't believe you. I feel like you're just talking. You're just talking to talk. Right? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? So let's take a peek at those Super Bowls here. Now, Tom Brady's been to about 62 of them, right? Tom Brady's been to 10 Super Bowls, 9 with New England. I can make the argument here, the first one against the Rams, the only one against the Rams. Oh, well, no, it is the first one against the Rams. First Super Bowl he went to, he throws for a buck 45. I'm giving the nod to the defense over the offense. The second one, he goes for 350. Okay, fair enough. We'll call it 1-1. 24-21, he goes for 236. McNabb throws three interceptions. I'm giving the nod to the defense again. Both of those Giants' losses are not tremendous performances by Tom Brady. 266 yards, one touchdown. 276 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. A pick by Chase Blackburn, of all people. A guy that was teaching grade school in, I believe, Illinois weeks before. But it's a loss. We won't have to talk about it. 
I'll give you the Seattle one, even though, realistically, I shouldn't. It should be half and half, because they did make the game-sealing play. I'll give you that one. I'll give you the Atlanta one. I'll give you the Philly one, which they lost. I'm taking the Rams one, the second one. Both Rams ones, right? So we're looking at Tom Brady with, what, 19 rings here? Three, six, seven Super Bowl rings. We're not talking about the Tampa Bay one. Six rings in question. The first one I'm going defense. The third one I'm going defense. And the final one I'm going defense. And the ones they lost, two of them, the defense played pretty well. Well, What are we doing here? You're going to say Bill Belichick's legacy is anchored to break? That's like saying Phil Jackson. Well, Phil Jackson only coached great players. So only coach great players. That's why Kobe did so much in those years in between Phil Jackson. Right? Yeah, tremendous. Of course. Yeah. No, it all makes sense. Come on. That's a bonehead take. And I'm not saying it's all Bill either, by the way. As I said, in those games, you can point to Brady, and Brady made big plays. They had big drives down the field, especially that first Super Bowl. Like I said, 145 yards, but when it mattered, he made good throws. Right? They made good plays. But to say that, oh, he was carried by Brady, it's such a lazy argument. It's so lazy. And for someone getting paid, like, infinitely more than the amount of money they're paying schlubs like me, right? To do, we're ostensibly doing the same job. Except you get to go in front of millions of people and put your foot in your mouth. Come on. Coming out a little hot this week, ladies and gentlemen. Coming out a little hot. Continuing the stand-up 6-7 wrap up here. Chandler Jones cut by the Raiders and reportedly violated a protective order. Unclear what's going on there. Apparently there's some mental health issues. Well, wishing the best for you, Chandler, wherever you are. He was also talking about how they had Aaron Hernandez killed, I think. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on there. Additionally, some news that broke today. Um, Teron Armstead of Miami going to IR. Also, Chase Claypool going to Miami for a 2025 sixth. He's also being exchanged, including a 2025 seventh from the Bears. Um, another report coming out that Caleb Williams reportedly said that he could make more money off of NIL and shenanigans, I'd assume, uh, returning to USC than as a rookie in the NFL. And he said because of that, he could pick whatever team he wants. Supposedly, the teams he's interested in are... The Cowboys, the Giants, the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Raiders. I would make the argument the Niners wouldn't be interested, obviously. The Cowboys would not be interested. The Raiders should be interested. The Vikings probably should be. We're at the tail end of Kirk Cousins, and the Giants anchored themselves to Daniel Jones. But if they find themselves in position to take a Heisman winner, they should consider it. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's some more stuff in here we could talk about, but we're already getting pretty late at the episode. Let's put a cap on an explosive standout seven and transition into my favorite portion, your favorite portion of the episode, the pick'em portion. And we're going to get started with another overseas matchup, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Buffalo Bills from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 9.30 a.m. on NFL Network. This should be a fun one, though admittedly, I'm, I'm really not a fan of the 9.30 a.m wake-up time to watch an NFL game, and usually, you know, we get away with it, where it's, like, not a great game, right? Like, last week it was Jags-Falcons, and, like, you know, it was, it, it's on paper a decent matchup, but you go out and watch the game, and Desmond Ritter throws two picks, and, you know, 
it's not super competitive. It's 17 nothing at half. It never gets closer than 17-7. Okay, fair enough. Um, sure. This game, however, this should be one that, like I said, coming into the year, I'm thinking maybe Jacksonville can find a way to sneak in to this higher portion of the division winners. Well, they lost to Kansas City. I don't know about this one, but we'll look at the injury report before we get to the pick. Jacksonville going to be without wide receiver Parker Washington with a knee injury, as well as linebackers Dwayne Smoot with an Achilles, Devin Lloyd with a thumb, and corner Christian Braswell with a hamstring injury. Questionable for this one, two more wideouts, Zay Jones with a knee and Jamal Agnew with a quad. D-lineman Fularansu Fatukasi, questionable as well with a shoulder, and safety Antonio Johnson with a hammy. Bills going to be without two big ones, and this one we didn't touch on earlier in the episode. Tredavious White with an Achilles injury, another big lower body season-ending, presumably, injury for him. And you got to feel for him. I mean, the guy was really darn good. And he still is pretty darn good, but you can only come back from these things so many times, man. I feel for him. Uh, also going to be without D-lineman Greg Russo with a foot. Questionable Von Miller with a knee and corner Christian Benford with a shoulder. I tend to think, and I might be wrong on this, that Jacksonville can put up a fight. They can make this an interesting game. However, Bills fresh off that beating they laid on the Dolphins. Maybe I'm doing the same thing two weeks in a row. Last week I took the Dolphins because I was like, oh man, they just beat down, they beat down the Broncos and they're going to go out there and beat the Bills. Now I'm thinking, oh well, the Bills just, <laughs> the Bills just beat down the Dolphins. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I'm taking Buffalo to win this one across the pond. Next, we got a matchup that for many years looked like it might be a Super Bowl matchup, but we never got it. Now the teams look a little different as the New Orleans Saints head to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. Laundry list from either side on the injury report. Saints going to be without tight end Juwan Johnson with a calf injury. Offensive lineman Landon Young with a hip and safety Lonnie Johnson with a hammy. Questionable, their QB, Derek Carr, with a shoulder. Offensive lineman, Andrews Pete with a concussion. And James Hurst with an ankle. As well as corner, Paulson Adebo, with a hamstring injury as well. Patriots going to be without linebacker, Matt Judon, with an elbow. Big injury for a key pass rusher for them. As well as corner, Christian Gonzalez, with a shoulder. He's been playing great. And it's really a shame. I believe he might be done for the year. They bring in J.C. Jackson via trade, who they let go via free agency. And he didn't play so great for the Chargers, and he was nicked up. He's back. Maybe the, what's the opposite of a change of scenery? A return to scenery? Maybe that'll help him out a little bit. Um, filling in. Questionable. A lot of players for the New England Patriots. Running back Ramondre Stevenson with a thigh injury. Offensive lineman Trent Brown, Riley Reef, and Cole Strange with a chest, knee, and knee respectively. Three D linemen. Christian Barmore with a knee. Trey Flowers with a foot. Devin Gaucho. Godcho, excuse me, with an ankle. And three DBs, Jonathan Jones with an ankle, Sean Wade with a shoulder, and Cody Davis with a knee injury. I'm going to go Saints on the road in this one. I'm a little skeptical of my own pick. I think the Saints team is pretty darn good. Kamara's going to be back. Is Carr going to be good enough, healthy enough for them to pull something together here? Or is this going to kind of linger throughout the season? Only time will tell. But I'll bet on them. I'll take New Orleans to pull off a win on the road. Next, we have an AFC South matchup as the Tennessee Titans head to Indy to take on Anthony Richardson and the Colts in a battle of the 2-2 two and two teams, which is what you get in this division, because as I said before, they're all 2-2. Two and two. 
Um, Titans going to be without wide receiver Traylon Burks with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Nick Petit-Friere with a non-injury related move, I guess you'd call it. Uh, D-lineman Tyre Tart with a toe and linebacker Luke Gifford with a hammy. Colts going to be without left tackle Bernard Raymond with a concussion. Outside linebacker Shaq Leonard with a groin injury and DN Quiddy Pay, who's also in the concussion protocol. Questionable for this one, the returning running back star Jonathan Taylor. Not certain Taylor's going to be out there for this one, but time will tell. We'll find out probably closer to kickoff, right? Maybe Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, anyway, for this one, I've said before I'm not super high on the Titans to the point where, honestly, we didn't even discuss what we honestly could have could have and should have found a spot for the Tennessee Titans dismantling the Cincinnati Bengals systematically. I mean, Joe Burrow throws for a buck 65 in this game. Tannehill, 18 of 25, 240 and a touch. Derrick Henry throws for a touchdown, runs for a touchdown, goes for a buck 22 on the ground. They look like the Titans that were not only division contenders, they were division winners, and they were title contenders in the AFC. Gives me a little bit of cause to pause in this one. Um, I'm leaning towards the Colts. I'm a Colts guy. I'll go down with the ship. I just told you I think they can be a good team. I think they can contend. I can, at the least I could do for one episode is take a take a flyer on them and take them to win what could be a big game at home. Keeping it divisional, the AFC North sees a big matchup from the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers at not Heinz Field, but Acrisure Stadium. The Ravens going to be without outside linebacker Adafe Owe with an ankle injury. Safety Daryl Worley with a shoulder. Doubtful offensive lineman Morgan Moses with a shoulder. Questionable. Two running backs, Justice Hill with a foot and a hammy, as well as Keaton Mitchell with a shoulder. Odell Beckham with that ankle injury that they said would be a quick one and we're pushing towards three weeks. And corner Marlon Humphrey with a foot injury. Steelers, meanwhile, are going to be without their tight end, Pat Fryermuth with a hammy. Two offensive linemen and Dan Moore and James Daniels with a knee and groin injury, respectively. D-lineman DeMarvin Leal with a concussion. Punter Presley Harvin III with a hamstring injury and questionable linebacker Alex Highsmith with a groin. Now, notably, Kenny Pickett not listed on this injury report. Not listed. Cleared to start. I'm still taking Baltimore. Um, I'm a Kenny Pickett fan of sorts, though I... Admittedly, the calls, I've seen them for Matt Canada's job. The fact that a lot of people think that really this offense is not clicking, and I can't really argue with them. They tend to blame the play calling and this, that, and the third. And you know what? Change will come eventually, but if it's just going to be the way it is, I can't really pick them to pull off what should be a pretty big upset if they were to. Give me Baltimore to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle of the Big Cats as Bryce Young leads the Carolina Panthers to Detroit to take on Dan Campbell's Lions. Panthers going to be without tight end Steven Sullivan with a hip injury, offensive lineman Austin Corbett with a knee, and safety Xavier Woods with a hammy. Questionable, corner Dante Jackson with a shoulder. A whole heaping of players on the injury report for the Detroit Lions, who entered this one at 3-1, and one, by the way, trying to grab the reins of that NFC North division. They're going to be without their fullback, Jason Capinda with a knee injury, DB Brian Branch with an ankle as well. Doubtful, their star receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown with an abdominal injury, as well as tight end James Mitchell with a hammy. Questionable, their young running back, Jameer Gibbs with a hamstring injury, wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a groin, Jamison Williams, non-injury related, as well as two offensive linemen, Taylor Decker with an ankle and their guard Vitae with a knee. 
Linebacker Julian O'Quara with a shoulder, corner Emmanuel Mosley with a knee-slash-hammy, and Kirby Joseph at safety with a hip injury. That is an army of players on the injury report for the Detroit Lions. Carolina's got to win eventually, right? You'd think they've got to win eventually. It's hard to go winless in the NFL, but I don't think they win this one. Give me Detroit to hold serve and win at home. Next, the Houston Texans head to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Texans, overachieving, playing better than people thought. Falcons, kind of the other side of the coin. They're 2-2, two and two, but it's been really hit or miss early in this season. Uh, Falcons listing nobody on their injury report here per NFL.com as per usual. Texans, on the other hand, they're going to be without offensive lineman Josh Jones with a hand injury. Linebacker Christian Harris is in the concussion protocol, so he's going to miss this one as well. Questionable wide receiver John Mechie III with an illness. Offensive lineman Laramie Tunsil with a knee. Defensive lineman Malik Collins with an abdominal injury. Linebacker Jake Hansen with a neck. And corner Shaq Griffin with a calf injury. Now, admittedly, I, especially late last season, kind of bought in to the Atlanta Falcons. And right now, I don't think they're that bad, but I'm a little disappointed in the way their offense has, like, Bijan Robinson looks good, right? He looks pretty good. We've seen some flashes here and there. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming him. Kyle Pitts, we know the athleticism that's there. I like Drake London, but they're not really getting a whole bunch out of the quarterback position. And I can't necessarily blame Desmond Ritter, because if we're being honest, and these stats are impressive to be this close. Last year in four games, Desmond Ritter, 73 of 115, 63.5% completion percentage. He goes for 708 yards through the air, two touchdowns, no picks, and I believe he ran for 64 yards on 16 carries. This year through four games, he is 74 for 119, 62.2% completion percentage, 744 yards, three touchdowns, three picks, and he's rushed for 47 yards and one touchdown. Remarkably close. So maybe he's playing exactly how he played last year. Why am I surprised? Well, you tend to hope there's a little bit of growth, and it's still early in the year. Maybe there will be growth. But let's be honest here, guys. Whose offensive talent would you rather have around you? The names I just listed for the Falcons, or... The name's playing with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, through four games, is 94 of 151, 1,212 yards, six touchdowns. He almost has more yards in four games than Ritter did in eight. Oh, and he's rushed for 51 yards, too, so they're about the same there as well. I'm taking the Texans. I think the Falcons should be the better team. They're at home. They should be good enough to win this game. I'm, you know, C.J. Strouds. I'm, I'm on the hype train a little bit here, guys. I'm not gonna lie to you. The guy's playing good. I gotta give him his credit. And you know what? When it comes down to picking time, let's pick the hot QB. Give me Stroud on the road. Oh Lord. The final one o'clock kick is a game we've already mentioned briefly, as the pride of New Jersey. The New York Giants head down to Florida to take on the Miami Dolphins. Giants going to be with... Does it matter? 
Giants could be without three starting offensive linemen. Shane Lemieux with a groin. John Michael Schmitz at center, who's not played well, so it doesn't matter. With a shoulder and their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, with a hammy, who's missed a few weeks here, and he's usually winning on the field, has been pretty good. Uh, questionable, their star running back, Saquon Barkley, with an ankle. Daniel Bellinger, tight end with a knee, and linebacker Micah McFadden with an ankle injury. Dolphins going to be without O-lineman Robert Jones with a knee. Corner Nick Needham with an Achilles. Questionable, two O-linemen, Connor Williams with a groin, Lester Cotton with an ankle, and linebacker Jalen Phillips with an oblique injury. The Giants have no business winning this game. No business at all. It's it's not one of those pessimistic fan things. It's not one of those, oh, ha, 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 it's funny. Like, we used to do 60-second picks, and I've let it fade away because it's in the back of my brain and it doesn't come to mind, honestly. Wasn't really a scripted segment, but, you know, maybe we'll bring it back. If I were to bring it back, it would be for this game. I think the Miami Dolphins should win this game easily. They should be able to get pressure on Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones has regressed. So, you know what? If he's going to continue to play poorly, and he's going up against a team that, other than getting punched in the mouth by the Bills, look pretty great, give me Miami to win this one, hands down. Throw throw the savings account on it. It is what it is. Next, we move into a slightly more inflated mid-afternoon slate. We have two 405 kicks this time. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Bengals going to be without linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither with a knee injury. Questionable wide receiver T. Higgins with a rib injury. DN Trey Hendrickson, a big pass rusher for them with a back. And two corners, Chidobi Ouzier with a back injury as well. And Cam Taylor-Britt, who's in the concussion protocol. Cardinals going to be without D-lineman Jonathan Ledbetter with a finger injury, as well as corner Garrett Williams with a knee. Questionable running back Keontae Ingram with a neck injury. Two O-linemen, Dennis Daly with an ankle and Will Hernandez, former Giant, with a back, as well as linebacker Josh Woods with an ankle. I know the Bengals have been playing bad. I do. I know the Cardinals have been playing better. I do. I can't. I can't pick the Cardinals in this game, right? Like, if you took the logo off the helmets and you took the names off the jerseys, I would say the Cardinals are easily the better team. They have played better, but they have no reason to be. They shouldn't be. There's no way. I'm taking the Bengals, but if they lose to the Cardinals... I might have to start putting them on the the Kirk Cousins sort of list where, you know what, we got to think everything is going to go wrong because that's the way it's going for them. Next, the Philadelphia Eagles head to SoFi Stadium, also at 4.05, to take on the L.A. Rams. Eagles going to be without offensive lineman Cam Juergens with a foot injury, defensive lineman Fletcher Cox with a back, and Marlon Tuipolotu with a triceps injury, as well as safety Sidney Brown with a hammy. Questionable wide receiver Britton Covey with a concussion. Rams going to be without O-lineman Joe Noteboom with a groin injury. Doubtful D-lineman Dewan Johnson. Deswan Johnson? Excuse me. With a thumb injury. And questionable, another O-lineman, Alaric Johnson with a hammy. Got to take Philly on the road here. I was talking about how the Rams are looking pretty good. Not certain if Cup's going to be back for this one, right? Taking a look at Cooper Cup here. Um... Sean McVay expects him to play. If Cup's going to play and Nakua's going to continue to play well, Matt Stafford's probably going to throw for about 400 yards in this game, something crazy maybe. That being said, the Eagles are the better team. They'll find a way. Give me Philly on the road. Next, we move to the 425 slate. The New York Jets head to Denver to take on the 1-3 Broncos. 
The Jets going to be without corner Brandon Eccles with a hamstring injury and DB DJ Reed, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable 2-0 linemen and Billy Turner and Carter Warren with a toe and shoulder injury, respectively. As well as safety Jarek Bernard Converse with a foot injury. Quality name. Broncos going to be without linebacker Baron Browning with a knee injury. Questionable. Their lead back, Javante Williams with a quad. Center Lloyd Cushenberry with a quad as well. And D-tackle Mike Purcell battling a rib injury. This one's interesting for me. Because Zach Wilson played better last week than the majority of the games I've seen him play, if not all of them. All of them might be a hyperbole. I think it's the majority, right? So you'd think there might be some semblance of momentum going into this game. And the Broncos... For six quarters, before that second half, looked like the worst team in football. For a little bit, for six quarters there, they were the worst team in football. Just like for week one and a half, week one and beginning of week two, the Giants looked like the worst team on earth. But then the Broncos came back and won like the Giants came back and won. This game is in Denver, and the Denver Broncos can put up some points. Russell Wilson may throw the ball to the other football team, but Zach Wilson will do that too. You know what? It's honestly a toss-up for me, but I'm going to take the home team. Give me Russell Wilson and the Broncos to win this one at home. Our other 425 kick is probably the easily the best game of this mid-afternoon slate. I think Rams-Eagles will be pretty good. Bengals-Cardinals could be closer than it should be. But the Kansas City Chiefs are going to Minnesota to take on Kirk Cuzzo and the Vikings. Chiefs listing three on their injury report, all questionable. Offensive lineman Wanya Morris with a hip Defensive lineman Matt Dickerson with a knee, and linebacker Nick Bolton with an ankle injury. Questionable for the Vikings, their backup QB Nick Mullins with a back injury. Two linebackers, Brian Asamo with a second, and Marcus Davenport with a toe and an ankle. Safety Lewis Sign as well with a hamstring injury. This should have a lot of points, a fair amount of excitement. Um, Mahomes didn't look great last week, admittedly, and the Vikings really didn't look that great either. They snuck away with a win. They were losing that game. I believe it was a pick six to give them the lead, if not a fumble return for a touchdown. Might be confusing it with the Bear game. Um, It's kind of blurred together. Young QBs not really playing tremendous. Bryce Young hasn't been awful, but bad play there. Um, Either way, I'm going to take the Chiefs on the road, but if the Vikings want to try and not build a giant deficit to the Detroit Lions... They need to win some games that are questionable. Maybe this is one of them. Maybe Mahomes throws the ball to the other team. I don't see it happening. Give me the Chiefs winning this one on the road. That'll take us to easily what should be the game of the week. Two NFC powerhouses. I'm using quotes for one team in particular. The Dallas Cowboys head to Santa Clara, California for our Sunday night football matchup to take on the Brock Purdy-led 49ers. They're going to be without their backup tight end, Peyton Hendershot, with an ankle injury. I believe he's the backup. Uh, as well as questionable linebacker, Damon Clark, with a shoulder. Niners going to be without Elijah Mitchell in the backfield with a knee. Questionable center, John Feliciano, who's in the concussion protocol. This should be fun. This is old school. Two pedigree franchises, right? This is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go like Yankee Red Sox or something of that kind, but it's two teams that faced off quite a bit back when they were both really good. Niners are good right now, but they're not Joe Montana good. They're not Steve Young good. And the Cowboys damn sure ain't Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman good. Um, and Deion Sanders isn't walking through that door for either team. That being said, 
I've been much more impressed from what I've seen with the 49ers. It's not all on the Cardinal loss. Dallas beat up on the Giants and the Jets. Okay, who cares? I haven't been that impressed with what I've seen from the Dallas Cowboys. And look, you can only play the teams on your schedule. The Car- the 49ers aren't playing necessarily world beaters either, right? They both play the Giants. Well, the Cowboys put up a better performance against the Giants. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the 49ers are going to win this game at home. That'll push us to Monday Night Football. We've got the Green Bay Packers heading to Vegas to take on what should be the Jimmy Garoppolo-led Raiders. I'll take the Packers on the road, I guess. Um, You know what? I'm on the fence for this game. Because I think the Packers should just be able to try and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But you know what? I'm flipping the pick. This is the Devontae Adams revenge game. Rodgers isn't there on that other sideline. He wants to put up crazy stats. Jimmy Garoppolo's coming off a head injury. He's going to be chucking it up there, trying to find the guy in the middle. Which one's the actual Devontae? It might get questionable, but I'll take Devontae to win the revenge game. Right. Last week, Calvin Ridley won his revenge game. Guys like to go out there and do that. Beat your old team. You push your way out. Show them that they were, you know, you, you did what's right. They're missing you. Yada, yada, yada. Look good in front of the ex-girlfriend sort of thing. You know what? Give me the Raiders to win this one at home. Against my better judgment. Next, we've got an AFC West matchup. Our final game of the week. The Week 6 Thursday night football game. The Denver Broncos, fresh off their game against the Jets, head to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. No, I'm not picking the Broncos, guys. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not a Bronco believer, and even if I were, this would probably be one of the games I would not believe in them. This is a rough one. Short rest, Kansas City, in Kansas No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Give me the Denver Broncos to lose this one. Fairly easily, I would argue. Um, Chiefs at home. And that'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Thanks for joining us. Episode number 172 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As usual, you know the deal by now. If it's your first episode, I'll clue you in. If you've been around, stick around. Every Friday night, we're going to be breaking down the past week's action. Perhaps go on some rants and tangents like we have the last couple of weeks. It tends to happen. Um, But either way, we'll pick week six's games. And we'll break down the primetime games and all the happenings and goings-on of the next handful of days. Long episode the last couple weeks. Hope you guys are enjoying it. If you're not, like I said, all feedback, let me know. We can cut it down a little bit, but you know what? Letting it go a little bit. Let it fly on some of these topics that are just ridiculous. Looking at you, Brandon Staley. Either way, thanks for joining us. Join us again next weekend, and I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.